Good evening, and welcome back to another episode of Yale Cancer Answers. I'm your host this evening, Dr. Stephen Gore. I'm joined tonight by my guests, Dr. Bonnie Gould Rothberg, who is the medical director of the Extended Care Clinic at the Smilo Cancer Hospital, and Vanna Dest, manager of Oncology Advanced Practice Providers. They are here this evening to discuss extending the care options for patients with cancer. Bonnie and Vanna, thank you very much for joining me tonight. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Us. It's already been such a great challenge to have to spin out all, all these syllables, extended care clinic. Uh, what's an extended care clinic? So the extended care clinic um, is a focused, urgent care clinic um, where we can see our Smilo patients um, in a quiet, thoughtful manner. Um, we also provide... Um, opportunities for patients who need supportive care outside of um, normal clinic hours, um, transfusions, um, extra hydration, management of pain or nausea. Mm -hmm. So this would only be open after the clinic is closed? So the extended care clinic is open 16 hours a day from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. and it's by appointment only. So no walk-ins. I see. So why can't these patients be accommodated in the regular treatment setting? So we do. We really, we really do try to maintain our patients to getting treated in the infusion pods that we have. But this is really a way to minimize the amount of patients that are going to the emergency room. I, I see. Well, what are the disadvantages uh, for a cancer patient going to an emergency room? I mean, it's not really a disadvantage. Um, <clears throat> I mean, we can all relate to emergency room experiences of our own. Um, it's a noisy environment. Um, the wait times can be longer than we would like. Um, and uh, thinking about an oncology patient, the providers in an emergency room obviously deal with a broad spectrum of uh, medical conditions, um, aren't always in tune with the specific needs of a cancer patient. So we provide a service um, that pretty much tries to fulfill those type of urgent needs um, with a set of providers that are specifically trained in oncology care. So are these emergency room physicians who have a specialty in oncology? Is that what happens? Or? So um, the advantage, I think, of the extended care is that there's really continuity of care of our patients. So the APPs, which are the advanced practice providers, both nurse practitioners and PAs, are specialized not only in urgent um, emergency medicine, but also in oncology. So there's a lot of communication that still happens with their primary oncologist and also the advanced practice providers and their disease team. Hmm. Now, you said this is by appointment only. That seems like a sort of oxymoronic if it's sort of an emergent facility and you have to have an appointment. I think I'm going to have an emergency tomorrow, Vanna. Could I have an appointment? So let me, um, <laughs> let me provide an analogy. Um, there are certain restaurants where um, you need a reservation, and you can walk in, but you may have to wait an hour and a half to be seated. Right. If you have a reservation, you come in and at the time, and they bring you to your table. Sometimes. <laughs> um, so, you know, we have six spots, um, and unfortunately, we only have six spots. Um, so we want to make sure that we can accommodate the folks who need to come to us. And we don't want people who actually do need care to have to wait. Mm -hmm. So if we know when somebody's coming in advance, 
um, we can make, you know, we can assure that they have space. But again, it doesn't have to be hours in advance or days in advance. We need patients to call their primary disease team providers. Mm -hmm. um, the primary disease team provider will at that moment reach out to us, um, talk to us. We will sort out space management, um, and then we will either invite the patient to us or if we unfortunately don't have any room at that time, we'll work with the emergency department hmm. to facilitate uh, appropriate care. Um, having said all that, um, uh, there are certain conditions that we feel strongly uh, patients should go to the emergency department. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, chest pain, where they're concerned about having a heart attack, um, extreme shortness of breath, um, where there may be concern um, for patients not being able to continue breathing without a breathing tube. Um, and obviously, if somebody's feeling that they're having a stroke, mm. um, those are things that, unfortunately, that, or fortunately, that the emergency department um, are much better than we are. So kind of the real critical things should go to the emergency room kind of regardless, right. it seems like. Yeah. How long has this um, unit been operating? So it's been open since April 3rd mm -hmm. of this 2017. Mm -hmm. um, so we've actually been in operation now for a little bit over nine months. And I think what's really very impressive is that we've seen over 2,000 patient visits. Well, that sounds like a lot. I don't know. And out of those 2,000 patients that have been seen, 70% of those patients are able to go home. Hmm. Instead of being admitted to the hospital. Exactly. Do you have any sense for uh, if you didn't have this... Um, unit available and if they had had to go to the, these are patients who otherwise would have had to go to the emergency department, presumably. Mm -hmm, exactly. Do you, do you have a sense for how many might have been admitted? or? So we had looked at data probably about five years ago, um, and we looked at the number of oncology patients that were being, um, had gone to the emergency room, and 90% of those patients were actually getting admitted. Mm. And their length of stay was about five to six days, mm -hmm. so there was also an increase in hospital cost. So that really helped us to start to look at what can we do to make this better for our patients. I mean, you know, we want patients to be home with their loved ones and to be cared for by all the supportive services that we do have. Hmm. So that seems like quite an impressive change if 90% of these emergency department treated uh, oncology patients used to get admitted, and now only it sounds like maybe 30% of these people who come to this clinic. We're able to really draw in a lot of our supportive services, and such as palliative care, um, and also pain management to really help our patients to be better managed at home. Hmm. So what should a patient expect if they were, uh, you know, uh, going to be seen in this extended care uh, unit? So um, all patients uh, are immediately triaged by an advanced practice provider and a nursing team. Um, the advanced practice providers are the primary care providers in the extended care clinic. So that would be nurse practitioners and physician's assistants? Correct. Mm -hmm. um, myself as the attending in the clinic, um, I'm there multiple times a day. Um, I come in and I round on all of the patients. Um, I get a chance to think about medicine. I get a chance to talk to everybody. Uh, so personally, I want to say that I think I have the best job in Smilo. <laughs> really? Why is that? You know, because I, I work with a wonderfully collaborative team, a wonderfully capable team. Um, my APPs are outstanding. I trust them all implicitly. Each of them has a really strong depth of knowledge and a wonderful manner with each of their patients. Um, they're very thoughtful. Um, when we do talk about patients, they've already done all of the heavy lifting. Um, they've ordered all of the right diagnostic tests. Um, done the physical exam, done all of the initial workup. 
so that when I'm sitting down and working with them and sorting out what is the right best next steps, I have all of the information that I need. Um, then we work collaboratively. Um, I get a chance to talk with the patients, learn a little bit more about them, learn about their you know, life outside of the hospital. Um, and then we work collaboratively to be able to sort out what's the right disposition. And I do want to mention, I know Vana mentioned that um, the average length of stay had been five to six days. Um, even, you know, we do have to admit some patients. There are some patients where it's safer for them to stay in the hospital. Mm-hmm. But we are in the extended care clinic able to start the inpatient care plan. So we can actually shorten the length of stay by making sure they're getting the right set of antibiotics right off the bat. Um, making sure that the right pain services, palliative care services are informed so that we can do the care management right from the get-go. Hmm. That sounds great. And how long, uh, how much time was involved in planning this kind of unit? I have no idea how you start up a, sort of start up a mini emergency room out of, I guess, nothing, right? It was probably a good 12 to 18 months of planning. Uh-huh. And we had a multidisciplinary team that met every other week, um, and then eventually now we're on once a month, but to really look at all of the processes that needed to be in place. Mm, so how do you start? Do you, I mean, how do you just walk us through? First of all, the business plan had to be put in place. You know, we needed to have some money to money. be able to back this. Sure. But you can't really know how much money to ask for until you know what it is you want to build, right? But then you really look at the number of full-time positions that you need in terms of the APPs, also the nursing, and also our patient care technicians that we have. Hmm. Do most cancer centers have a similar um, unit? Do you have any uh, idea of what's going on around the country? So there are a couple of um, cancer centers that have units. So you can think about maybe Memorial Sloan Kettering or the MD Anderson Cancer Center that are actually standalone cancer hospitals. Mm -hmm. So they actually have a fully functioning ED. Um, We didn't think that those were the right models for us because we have a fully functional ED here at Yale New Haven Hospital, at the Shoreline Medical Center, um, at other outlying community hospitals that can provide the true emergent care. So we really needed to think about how we could work collaboratively and what niche we could fill that wouldn't be totally redundant with mm-hmm. the services that are already provided here in New Haven. So there are a couple of um, facilities. There's actually one in Wisconsin that we've been learning a lot from lately um, in trying to uh, you know, understand sort of the growing pains in building this. Um, there's another uh, facility at the Johns Hopkins Medical Center as well um, that has provided us with, you know, useful thoughts. Hmm. And has this been uh, well received by the patients? What's, what's been the experience of the patients? Very much so. Uh, the patients really do love coming there. They like to avoid the emergency room as sure, much as possible. I can imagine. Um, you know, and I think just where it is, it's on the 12th floor. It has a beautiful view of the sound. Um, and I think, you know, the staff, they are just so gifted. Um, and really compassionate about the patients that are there. So I guess one way that I look at it is really an extension of the ambulatory care that we provide at Smilo. Mm. And yet you are, it seems, oh, sorry about that little bump there. (laughs) It seems that you are um, limited by your capacity. We are. Well, so that's actually a really good question. Um, You know, when we started, um, we really weren't sure what our patient volume was going to be. Um, And to Vana's point, um, there was this beautiful suite on the 12th floor that we were able to repurpose for the extended care clinic. 
Um, it's got this penthouse suite view of the sound. It's cherry appointed. Um, it's location, tr- location, 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 right? Um, and when we you know, wanted to think about what is the right um, distribution of patient spaces, we have four chair pods and, and two beds. Um, frankly, in this space, uh, I don't think we could accommodate any more patients. So deciding that we had six spots was partly let's put a stake in the ground and partly driven by this wonderful space that we were given. So start with what you got and, it, and see how it works. We're actually now right? um, looking at our patient volume, trying to understand the right patient flow, um, understanding um, sort of you know how many of our spots are filled at different times in the day, and thinking, do we need to consider expanding? And if so, how would we be able to execute that? Yeah, I mean, it seems daunting. If first of all, if you're sort of landlocked in space, but uh, you know, while you can potentially hire more uh, practitioners, there's only one of you. But I guess they could hire more of you too. Well, actually, you know, I mean, um, again, with the wonderful support staff, I'm, I'm the one who's on call um, while the clinic is open, um, 7 a.m. to 11 p.m., seven days a week. Um, so 90% of the time, uh, I'm the one that patients will be working with. Um, so I don't mind, you know, it, it's all fine and it's all good. Um, rather in, enjoy this. Um, but really the issue is going to be space, that if we decide to grow, it's going to be where and how um, and, and what is the right mechanism for that. Uh, and But before we even think about that, we need to understand, you know, what are the needs? Um, how full are we? Um, while we don't like turning away patients, that's not common. It happens, but 95% of the time we're able to accommodate everybody who needs to come to us when they need to come to us. So we really do encourage all of our Smilo patients that if they're not feeling well, please call your primary disease team. Um, even if you're not feeling well at 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning, please call your primary disease team because we can ar- have you arrange to come to see us at 7 a.m. when our clinic right opens. So please. Give a call. We're going to have to take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more information about extending the care options for cancer patients. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Stephen Gore. I'm joined tonight by my guests, Dr. Bonnie Gould-Rothberg and Vanna Dest from the Smile Cancer Hospital, and we've been talking about um, the implementation of a uh, sort of urgent care facility for cancer patients uh, that uh, was implemented in the in the past uh, 12 months um, uh, at the Yale Cancer Center, uh, as well as other uh, approaches potentially uh, for um, expanding the the ways that cancer care patients can be uh, cared for. Um, perhaps it would be uh, interesting to our listeners uh, to hear. If you have any anecdotes uh, of some patients who might have otherwise, you know, had to be hospitalized and, and whom this kind of approach, for whom this kind of approach was able to, to mitigate the circumstances. You guys got any of those? Sure. Um, so I, you know, like to think about um, th- this one woman um, who you know, came to us um, 
sort of just having a really hard time being at home. Um, her family was having a hard time caring for her at home with the type of supports that she was needing. And um, we sat down. We talked for about an hour. Um, I was trying to understand what were the specific barriers. Um, was it an issue of needing, I don't know, more hands-on, not being able to eat, um, not being able to get to the ladies' room in time. Um, and through all the conversation, it became clear that you know her cancer um, was progressing to the point that she wouldn't be able to stay at home. Um, one of the things that we were able to do in our clinic um, was to coordinate um, with hospice care, um, coordinate with care coordination, and make that transition um, so that she wouldn't have to come into the hospital for two or three days to be able to have all of that transition happen so that her family wouldn't have to um, be overextended um, while all of the paperwork was being processed. Mm. So did this patient end up going to an inpatient kind of hospice facility? Or? I think she transitioned back to home with Which, a higher level of nursing care at home. Which is even better, I suppose. And yeah. um, ultimately was moving towards an inpatient facility. Yeah. I know it's so frustrating for families as well as the pretty much patients and everybody else when they're uh, in the hospital with no real acute needs, but just because they're not able to be managed well at home um, because the, the right set of things aren't in place. And um, I don't know, Vanna, you, you work a lot with, uh, with patients and their families. What's, what's your experience? I mean, I think that's true. And I think, you know, it's really our responsibility to recognize what the needs are of both the patient and the family at home. And, you know, our goal is really to make sure that patients can stay at home for as long as they possibly can. Yeah, patients and families, I, I guess, don't really always know when they're out of their league, right? It seems to me. Exactly. A lot of pressure, I think, for some right. uh, caregivers, like, I have to keep them at home. This is my mm -hmm. obligation, but it's too much for me. I, I hear a lot of that. And that's why our multidisciplinary team is so important between social work and care coordination. Um, and also with our oncology care model that we have. For patients that um, are on Medicare and are getting active treatment, we actually have care coordinators that actually look at that. And they meet with the families and also the patients and really look at what the needs are. Hmm. And that and that's a federally sponsored program, is Correct. that right? Correct. Uh, trying to both maximize patient services, I guess, and reduce costs at the same time somehow? Right. And also to improve quality care that is being provided. Mm -hmm. And do you think that's working? It is. Yeah. It is. That's good to know. Um, it's, it's so overwhelming, I think, for, for patients and families uh, when they're dealing with cancer, especially mm -hmm. uh, when it's progressive. And I don't know, do you feel, find a lot of these situations, the, the families are kind of in a panic when they're coming in, or is it not usually so bad? You know what? I think when they come to us, they are in a bit of a panic. I don't like using the word panic, but well, there's a little bit of, you urgent, know, there's, there's a bit of a sense, I think, overwhelmed. I think they are overwhelmed. Um, and I think one of the things that we can offer is the opportunity to be thoughtful. And it's something that we see on a regular basis that it's a routine part of our practice that might not be offered in the emergency department. Um, when, pat when patients and families present like this to the emergency department, 
they might not have the facilities and the resources to address these issues in the ED. So the only way to get these issues addressed is to admit the patient, bring them um, into the hospital, and then have an oncology-focused care team sort these out. We can do that in our clinic um, so that we can completely bypass the need for an inpatient stay as much as possible. So I'm going to throw you guys a curveball, which is going to give you an opportunity to get yourself in trouble perhaps. But um, I'm wondering, uh, you know, you've pointed out some of these situations that are in some ways social uh, and situational. Uh, do you think that, um, that even the need for your facility might be decreased uh, if, I mean, I'm wondering if in the daily business of delivering cancer care in a busy infusion clinic, um, if some of these things can't be done as, as well as they should be because it's too noisy, even in the clinic, because social workers are stressed. But once they come to your place, it's kind of like, you know, raving a, waving a red flag, like help. Actually, um, while we do have social work at our disposal and we can call in for, for lack of a better word, reinforcements, um, most of that is actually done by myself and my APPs. Uh, We only, in a rare instance, bring in social work, and it's only at the time once we've come up with a plan, and we can call social work, can you help us, or care coordination, can you help us by calling this facility or this agency and put this stuff in place? So you guys are doing sort of a superhuman uh, lift there, it, seem, it seems like. Uh, but but I will say, though, from working in Smilo, and I work mainly in outpatient, but I also cover the extended care clinic at times, is that our goal is really to be able to provide the patient and the family with the best care that we can. And that includes not just the physical needs of the patient, but also the psychosocial. And I think that's one of the things that, from the disease team perspective, we really started there. And again, with extended care, it really is an extension of that care that we are able to really, um, you know, provide what really what the patient's needs are at that particular time. Now, you're communicating with the primary team. So it's not like you've come to save the day when the primary team has dropped the ball, really. right? There is constant collaboration with the disease team. Uh I've got every single attending on speed dial my phone. I've noticed. <laughs> At least I've noticed that you had, you had me. I didn't know if I was being Yeah, I think I called you once, Dr. Gore. It was, yes, what, 9 certainly. o'clock at night once we spoke? That's no problem. Uh, if you're up, I might as well be yeah. up. And I usually stay awake at least that late. Um, you mentioned that you had turned to uh, other care models like uh, a place in Wisconsin and the Johns Hopkins Center. And, uh, of course, I think as a cancer-caring community, uh, we all need to learn from best practices. Do you have any plans to kind of disperse information, what you're learning, promulgate this, publish it? Is there a group of like-minded places that want to think about this? Well, I'll toot Vonna's horn. (laughs) She's got an abstract accepted at a prominent oncology nursing meeting, and she'll be giving that presentation. When is it, Vonna? May 17th. Uh Uh-huh. So you'll, be, you'll, DC. so you'll be talking about it to an audience of other mm-hmm. high-level nursing people? And I think one of the things that we're also doing um, as a working group within the extended care clinic is that we're really looking at triaging guidelines. You know, that's one of the reasons why we, you know, we really want the patients to be calling into their disease team. And then whoever that person is that they're talking to, whether it be a nurse or another advanced practice provider or the oncology fellow or the physician, then they are calling us with the information about that patient. So we are trying to make the decision about what is the most appropriate place for the patient to to be seen. 
And then in addition, we're really looking at treatment algorithms. You know, like so, so if a patient comes in for neutropenic fever. What does that mean? Because the white blood cell count is so low. Okay. Um, secondary to chemotherapy or after a bone marrow transplant. What exactly are the steps that we're going to take for that particular patient, not only in assessing, but also in managing it. These are patients who don't really have much immune system to fight the infection, Correct. so you're worried it could be quite serious, mm-hmm. right? So to that point, um, you know, there's a big research focus in the emergency medicine community mm-hmm. of not necessarily um, admitting every single patient who comes into the hospital with neutropenic fever. Um, that actually had been the standard, where if you present with neutropenic fever, you're started on um, very broad-spectrum antibiotics. You're admitted for at least 48 hours, um, waiting to see if the blood cultures do result in an infection or not. It's making sure you don't have an overwhelming infection. Right. Mm-hmm. But what we've shown now is that not every patient needs to be in the hospital under such close monitoring. And we in the extended care clinic have been, you know, really focusing on the emerging literature from the emergency medicine community and applying that in our clinic. Um, While we still do need to admit about 80% of folks with neutropenic fever, we're sending 20% of them home with close, careful follow-up for sure, um, but able to manage that in the outpatient setting. And I think that's actually one of the big innovations that we've been able to do. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, you know, I know that the um, care network that you guys are involved with, that we're all involved with, uh, encompasses quite a large geographic area acro- across Connecticut. Um, how uh, are you thinking about implementing similar models in other more distant sites? Like, I, I know I know there's a presence in Greenwich, or which is pretty far, or um, New London. Um, well, any thoughts about that, or? Spreading the gospel? Not currently. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I Vana's think, giving me a look like I've got enough on my plate. <laughs> I, I don't think those conversations have started yet, but I can say that we have seen patients in our clinic who are coming from Greenwich, who are coming from New London, who are coming from Tolland County, who are normally seen in St. Francis. Um, so people are coming to us. People are willing to travel to us from some of these um, more distant locations, um, recognizing that the care they're going to get with us um, might have a slightly different flavor Mm -hmm. and might be easier for them to manage. Might be worth the drive, in other words, uh, if it's going to potentially avoid a hospitalization uh, that might be the otherwise that be the default. Um, So are are most of the patients coming in with, with either fevers to be evaluated or this kind of you know, overwhelmed family situation? What are some other scenarios? Probably the most common presenting symptoms are fever, um, increased shortness of breath, not necessarily sudden shortness of breath because we obviously worry about that. Weakness, nausea and vomiting, being dehydrated, pain. Mm -hmm. Those are probably the most common. Yet at the same time, um, my training is as a general internist and my focus of practice um, is as an inpatient hospitalist. Um, I've had to think about and evaluate some more uh, tricky, um, really non, uh, non-cancer-related medical questions. We had a gentleman that came into us once with um, an acute flare-up of his diabetes. Mm. Um, we've had folks come to us um, with either their potassium or their sodium or another one of their blood chemicals 
um, significantly enough abnormal that we've needed to work with our colleagues in the intensive care unit to make sure that they transitioned to the appropriately safe level of care. Um, I've had to think about you know, kidney problems that are more typically found in a specialized kidney facility. Mm. Um, so it, it's actually been quite challenging and quite rewarding um, as an internist. Uh, the other thing that I think is really exciting is we um, work very closely with the phase one clinic program here. Um, we have patients on investigational drugs where for the first time we're putting these drugs into patients. and Who and knows we, what will happen? We right? have no idea mm-hmm. what, what the side effects might be. So it's a lot of, you know, it's intellectually rewarding to be able to work um, collaboratively um, and contribute a little bit to the research mission. Great. Well, Bonnie and Vanna, it's been really great having you as guests on Yale Cancer Answers. This has been a terrific show. I hope patients and family members listening have a better understanding uh, about some of the ways um, and options that uh, provide them that are available to them um, for their cancer care. Until next week, everybody, this is Dr. Stephen Gore wishing everybody a happy and healthy week.